There's nothing like your podcast selection. The topics and banter make for the complete driving experience, kind of like Goodyear Auto Service. They offer full-service car service. Whatever comes your way, they're ready with a lot of know-how and some friendly tips to help keep you moving. Keep the podcast flowing and your car going with Goodyear Auto Service. For all-around car care, visit GoodyearAutoService.com. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? you left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Now, imagine you're you're in your 20s. A lot of you are actually in your 20s. And someone comes up to you and says, look, with your current job, right, you don't have to be making millions of dollars a year, just an average middle-class job. You could retire at age 30 if you really wanted to. And of course, you'd probably say, well, that's crazy talk. Of course you can't. That's not how it works. You have to work 30, 40 years to save enough so you can stop working. Or the way you shortcut that is you start a business and sell it for millions of dollars or a rich uncle dies, you win the lottery. Uh, We're not counting on that. So I'm going to put my 30, 40 hours, 30, 40 years in. My guest today has done it. He actually retired at age 30 working as a software engineer and he wasn't making millions of dollars a year. And the way he did it was just through extreme frugality. Uh, His name is Pete. He runs a blog called Mr. Money Mustache. I know a lot of you guys follow him. And Pete uh, promotes what he calls financial badassery. And his big argument is that Americans waste a lot of money on stuff that we really don't need, luxuries that make us comfortable. And if we can get rid of a lot of these luxuries or cut back on them, we can actually save a lot of money. And so what he says is like, look, you just live the strenuous life. Do things that are hard and you'll actually save yourself a money, some money that will give you uh, financial freedom a lot sooner than you think. Uh, I think it's really fascinating, his approach. Uh, so today on the podcast, Mr. Money Mustache and I discuss financial badassery uh, and the mindset shift that needs to take place in order for you to be able to retire early if you wanted to. We're also going to talk about what do you do when you retire early at age 30 or 35? What do you do with your time? And then finally, we discuss some brass tax things you can do right now to start saving more money uh, to allow you to have some more financial independence. Really great show. I think you're going to like it. So without further ado, Pete, Mr. Money Mustache. Pete, Mr. Money Mustache, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Mr. McKay. I'm excited to be here on the Art of Manliness for the first time. So I think you're you're actually my first mustached guest I've ever had on the Art of Manliness podcast. (laughs) Well, only in my publicity materials, because actually in real life, I don't always have a mustache, including right now. It's it's too much maintenance. Uh, So in that extent, I'm kind of failing uh, in the manliness contest. (laughs) But it'll grow back this winter, and then then I'll be real again. Then you'll be real again. Yeah. All right. So you have a blog called Mr. Money Mustache. I I know a lot of our listeners probably have readers of it. But the story behind it is you retired at age 30. 
So how did this happen? How did you retire at age 30? And you did this with, you're married, you have a kid. I mean, did you win the lottery? Did you have a, a dead rich uncle happen? I mean, what happened? <laughs> yeah, it's all the old-fashioned. Uh, I did everything the old-fashioned way. So first of all, I should clear it up. I'm 40 now. So this is about 10 years ago that my wife and I retired. And the reason we did that is in order to start a family, we always figured we were such workaholics back in our 20s that we want to be free from that in order to concentrate on kids when, when they came along. So that that got us motivated to save through our 20s. And we just worked as normal like tech workers. I was, we were bas- basically both software engineers. And so no magic, not really stock options or any kind of stuff like that. It was just we lived sort of like a normal lifestyle, but uh, we earned a little bit more than normal, which is not necessary for early retirement. But the real key is just not spending everything you earn. We spent, We lived on a little under half of what we took home and invested the rest and just paid off the house, bought normal index funds, nothing flashy. I did like a rental house or two at times. And when we were done, uh, when we had enough savings, and we're going to get to that later in the interview, um, it was enough to just live off the dividends and capital gains and rental income from the houses. Um, And then that was enough to cover our living expenses, which are pretty low. And we've been doing it ever since. And only after we realized that very few people did this did I feel it was necessary to start a blog to explain like, you know, this weirdo did this weird thing that's actually pretty easy to do. Okay. So yeah, so it was just aggressive saving, living frugally. And we'll get talked about some of the brass tack things you do. Before we do that, let's talk about the underlying philosophy. Because I, I, I feel like it's not so much tactical things that are hard to do. It's the mindset. That's the biggest change to do what you did. So what's the underlying philosophy behind the Mr. Money mustache way of finances? Yeah, it's a good question because I didn't even realize I had an underlying philosophy as a kid and as a 20-year-old. But then I realized it's, um, I think of everything as kind of like a game. So some people think you win the game if you get the most luxuries and spend as much as your paycheck as you can without getting in trouble. Whereas I always thought I won the game for keeping as much money as possible and accomplishing the most stuff myself. You know, like, for example, I always thought, oh, I'm 20 miles from work right now. I wonder if I could bike there or I wonder if I can make the bike trip in the winter or I wonder if there's a way I can get the groceries without resorting to a car. So just little challenges and doing stuff, pushing your own boundaries and doing things that are harder. Uh, If you combine that with thinking about what makes you more money and what saves you more money, and that also applies to working harder and trying to kick ass a little bit more in your job, um, it just kind of automatically, first of all, it makes you happier because accomplishing and learning is much stronger source of happiness than any kind of like big screen TV or like nicer pair of golf shoes and stuff is going to provide you. So you're happier, but at the same time, you're earning more money and you're spending less money. So it's kind of like these three three spokes of a, a philosophy, which I later rebranded and I call it badassity, which is like the desire to be a bit more of a badass in your life tends to make you a lot more wealthy than you'd otherwise be too. Interesting. I mean, but how do you do this when you're surrounded by messaging to do the complete opposite, right? It's not just the media, right? We're advertising, but your friends, your family, uh, they might not do it overtly, but subtly they're like, you know, what are you doing? Uh, You should be living this sort of lifestyle, buying stuff, send your, you know, buy your kids nice things, go on that vacation. That's really expensive. I mean, how do you make this mindset shift when you're being bombarded with messaging that says, don't do that? Yeah. I really like that question because, um, because you're kind of speaking of a U.S. perspective and most of your listeners and readers and mine too are in this country. 
And it's important to realize that we are actually batshit crazy in this country, and a lot of other countries don't have the same consumption disease that we have. So you can get a long way just by doing the opposite of what everybody else does, because we're all, we're all doing it wrong. Everybody is out of shape, you know, like a lot of health problems, self-inflicted and stuff, because we're indulging in like, you know, our, our momentary desires instead of thinking in like a multi-decade plan of like, how can I make my life the best? How can I do the most difficult thing? So if you get negative feedback from society, that means you're doing a good thing. And of course, I'm saying that with a little bit of a joke in, in mind because, you know, really it's not negative feedback. It's just slightly questioning. Like, for example, you know, people in my town, my friends know that I I've finished working, I have lots of savings, um, but I still ride around on an old bike and they see me carrying like a, a bike trailer full of groceries home from the store instead of having like my servant drive, drive it in the limo and deliver it and prepare my meals and stuff. They know that uh, I just like doing stuff the hard way because that's a more satisfying life. So you really, I think it's in your mind that people are criticizing you. If you confidently like set out to do a new, more badass lifestyle, really you end up getting more respect instead of less if people see that you're serious about it and you're pretty confident in your own internal values. And then the second part of that is just just tune out of TV and advertising. Like, you know, TV is designed for nothing but to make you want more stuff, like a shinier, bigger pickup truck and stuff. And I've never really been into that. So, you know, I just got rid of TV at about 1999 and haven't turned back. I'll still watch, like, great movies and stuff, but just... There's just no need to absorb advertising of any sort. You can just just wipe it out of your life now that the world is more modern and you get to choose the information that's pumped into your head. Yeah, so between those two things, you know, people should try them and come back to me if they have any problems, see if those are working. Yeah, this is great. You hit on this idea of um, not being a consumer. But I think it's really interesting because we've written about this on the site before, um, you know, in anthropological studies about masculinity cross cultures, one thing that anthropologists have found is that to be a man, what separates men from boys in primitive tribes as well as larger industrial cultures like us is that whether you're a producer or a consumer. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great way to make the distinction. I think I I get a lot of joy out of producing stuff. Like I'm currently living in a house that I built for myself, for my family from almost from scratch. It was a 1950s kind of dump when we moved in and then I tore like the whole roof off and producing this house and I've built other houses in the past and producing writing and producing stuff through my jobs in the past was always where all the joy came from and I find like when I occasionally indulge in consumption it doesn't really give me as much thrill as I thought you know like sometimes one time I went to a resort in Cancun and everybody's just bringing me stuff and all the buffets are ready for you and all there is to do is just take take consume sit down and I was like, well, what, what can I do here? Like, is there, do these guys working on the hotel need any help? Like I was looking around for something to keep me occupied for the week I was there because there's no production to be done. And I think that's a great way to shift the balance of your wealth is to suddenly think about producing and consumption is kind of like a necessary thing, but you kind of minimize that because it gives you more resources to produce, which is where all the fun really is at. Yeah. And what I love about your philosophy, it, it's it's un-American, but it's very American at the same time, because what you're advocating is basically what our founding fathers advocated, our great-great-grandparents, like, do it yourself, save as much as you can, produce, don't consume. But I guess there was a shift, I guess, in the, after the world Second World War, where consumption became a way of life for Americans. Right. And there's still a lot of production going on in the background. 
I think it's a bit of a people are trying to fool us, you know, like spend, spend, support the economy. Like that that's not really what's going on. The part the reason the country is strong is because of all the great stuff that we produce. And uh, consumption doesn't even have to be quite as much of a part of that. Like, first of all, you can export your stuff. If you make the best cars, like the Tesla Model S, ship it over to Germany, and they're buying them instead of BMWs, then you're winning that part of the economic game. And the other thing is, if you produce stuff that delivers long-term dividends, like, for example, you build up a big, awesome solar power factory or whatever that delivers energy for, like, the next century, that's the kind of production that... um, is like a long-term benefit to society instead of just building a bunch of pickup trucks, wearing them out, burying them in the ground, building another bunch of them. Like So there's different kinds of production and consumption that have different long-term effects on a country's wealth. So I like to move towards the stuff that actually creates lasting strength, lasting wealth. All right, so Mr. Money Mustache is playing the long game. Yeah. Awesome. All right, so uh, you advocate or talk about financial independence and... Uh, there's lots of books have talked about that. Uh, your money or your life is one that I read and had a big influence on me. Um, but how do you define financial independence? How do you know when you are financially independent? That one's a pretty easy answer. I think it's just never having to work for money again, which doesn't mean that you don't have to work. You don't feel like working. Like I, I enjoy working every day, but money is no longer a factor. Like, you know, this guy's going to pay me more, even though I don't like working for him. Um, you no longer make that choice. You never, no longer sell out your, your core values. And I even call this, I actually changed the word in my blog to being calling it retirement. Some people say financial independence, but I, I really like the word retirement because it's just sort of has a more of a final say. And I'm trying to redefine retirement kind of and say, well, guess what? Everybody should keep doing the work that they care about. You should quit your job if you don't like it. But you can call yourself retired as soon as you're financially independent. And it's just like a celebration, you know, celebration word. Just my own personal preference. Awesome. So uh, you advocate some serious, a serious savings rate, uh, 50% to 75% of your income. And I know for some people, a lot of people who are listening, there's like, that's just like, no way you can't do that. Um, so how do you do that on a tactical brass tax level? How do you save, squirrel away 75% of your take-home pay? Yeah, well, that's a key thing is, first of all, think about take-home pay because when you first say like 50% of your income, people will say, wait a minute, almost 50% goes to taxes like or whatever. You, you got to understand you're talking about your post-tax take-home pay and then you should be able to work on saving a portion of that. And so the first thing is to say, so wipe out the prejudice where you say that's not possible because it is. You can live on 10% of your take-home pay if you really got badass about it. You know, people do this. People live on $4,000 a year in the U.S. So, um, and it's a matter of being smart and how far you're willing to go on it. Now, I never had to go anywhere close to that far. Like, my family lives on, like, we've always lived on it around um, 25000 of spending. Um, just because that's as much as we can manage to spend without feeling like we are run out of stuff to buy. Uh, as for the brass tax question, though... Uh, you just got to think about the main places to optimize. The biggest one in America is cars. A lot of people spend about 500% what they need to on driving around and not really ending up anywhere different at the end of the day. So tricks for that in, in include like prioritizing living close to what you do, live close to work, switch jobs, switch houses if you have to. Don't drive a big automatic transmission SUV, you know, get yourself like a nice used Honda and make it last for 15 years. And uh, then there's food, cooking your own food, not going out for dinner as much, but still keeping it social by 
hosting dinners and having friends that do the same thing. So people end up having more fun at lower cost. And then there's just the general leakage. Like a lot of people walk around like picking up objects all day from stores or shopping malls. And if you just kind of cut that out, reform your days so that shopping isn't really part of it. A lot of people end up dropping $1,000 a month from their from their spending just right there. Yeah, so thinking of the big three is what gets you to um, to the 50% or even 75% savings rate. Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the United States? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer a free plant consultation forever. So I use Fast Growing Trees to order not an indoor tree, but an outdoor tree. There is an oak tree that was in our front yard that died a few years ago due to heat stress. Had to cut it down. There's been a blank spot that I wanted to put another tree there. I wanted a maple tree that turned bright red during the fall. And I went on Fast Growing Trees, found the tree that fit the criteria that I was looking for. Turns bright red. It's a maple tree that turns bright red in the fall. So if you want to try Fast Growing Trees, right now they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when they use code MANLINESS at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using code MANLINESS at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code MANLINESS, offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? 
Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the Masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. Yeah, and I guess a lot of it's just being mindful of your. I think a lot of people just spend money mindlessly. They don't even know where their money's going. Totally. Like how many people have cable TV, $100 a month or, or more? That's an expense you can just wipe out today. Just be like, hello, I don't need cable TV anymore. And that's like $1,200 a year compounds into like 15000 per decade by the time you invest that money conservatively. And that's just by erasing something that you don't need anyway, because, you know, you should be out there producing instead of consuming other people's like reality TV shows and stuff. If you like watching sports, go out and play sports. This is it. It's a, it's a harsh, harsh thing to say on, on the Art of Manliness podcast. There's a lot, of, a lot of better stuff to do with your time than watching TV. And how do you do this with kids? I'm sure some people are listening. They're like, okay, well, yeah, that's easy if you're single, right? I can live a Spartan life. But how do you do that when you're married and you have kids? Well, kids are, I always wondered that too until I had my own kid. And it turns out they're not as expensive as people say. It's kind of up to you how much kids cost. Um, so obviously, like there's a certain amount of healthcare costs with a kid that are somewhat unavoidable. And there's food they do eat. But other than that, it's pretty uh, pretty flexible. It depends how much stuff you buy your kid and how much time you spend with them. Like, for example, if you're home with your kids like we were, then that saved a lot on uh, daycare, which often costs over $1,000 a month. Um, there's activities. So I kind of encourage my son to do whatever he wants because we can afford it. But just because he has access to his parents so much, he's less into like the travel sports teams and stuff and more into doing things in the neighborhood. It's a little bit more of like a previous generation, the way things run in my town where the kids run around in a pack free and they they play in the creek and play sports in the park behind my house and stuff like that. So it's amazing how cheap kids are. I think my son, we've kind of added it up just very casually and it's it's averaged to under $300 a month since he was born. And uh, some people spend 10 times that amount on a per kid basis. So it's just, uh, I wouldn't encourage you to cheap out, you know, like deny your kids of stuff in order to save money. But if you just think of it in a different way, the expenses tend to melt away. Yeah. Like kids aren't that expensive. Like my son, like our, my son's clothes, he's four. We've always bought clothes from friends who had kids and they grew out of them. And yeah. it was like nice stuff. He was like stuff from the gap. But like we yeah. got it for like way cheap. Your friends are, are usually thankful if they can unload their kids' stuff to you. So yeah, that's a really good point. I didn't even think of clothes because they've generally, until he was a certain age, they kind of just flowed in from other people. And similarly, we passed his smaller clothes on to other people. Yeah. Now that he's nine, like he's big enough and growing a little more slowly that he truly destroys each item of clothing before it leaves the house. So there's no more hand-me-downs and stuff. 
but that's you know clothes are just amazingly cheap these days so as long as you're not in in a fashion competition you're not going to spend more than like a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars a year on kids stuff yeah um so are there any things you're doing like to have like proactive conversation about money with your your son yeah i like that question because i'm i kind of hope he ends up with the same luck that i have with uh with not being really overly material desire burdened um so first of all there's living by example which seems to work he he sees what his parents do with money and he sees how we're not really into buying flashy stuff we just have one old toyota for our car and uh whereas other friends of his where the parents still do have to work, might have like multiple BMWs or big SUVs. But there's other stuff. Not having TV, I think, really helps him because he's not he's not barraged with a lot of kid advertising all day. We don't take him around to shopping malls because I just pick up the necessities just through Amazon and everything gets delivered to the house. So there's not a lot of retail therapy. And uh, the final part that's been kind of cool is that he gets his own money now. So if he wants something like a toy or a video game, he has to fund that out of his own account. And we keep his money in a spreadsheet that I call just the bank of dad. So anytime he gets some money, like earns it or gets it from a birthday present or whatever from a grandparent, he puts it into the bank of dad. I give him 10% interest, which, you know, kind of updates automatically every month and he can see his balance. He can check it from his little computer. So now he has an incentive to leave the money invested, which is just how it should be for an adult. It's like, well, I could burn $50, but then suddenly I'm making five dollars less per year on interest so he sees a balance he still buys stuff he's generous with his little buddies but he's not going to blow it all on just nothing because he likes the idea of the passive income and that's the real thing adults should be trading off too like if i'm gonna if i want to fork over a hundred thousand dollars for a tesla model s i have to realize that hundred is no longer going to be working for me for the rest of my life it's going to be sitting in the driveway depreciating and that's one of the biggest things that keeps my spending in check is uh, just realizing I'd like to keep the nest egg in there working so the kids can actually get that concept pretty early too. Awesome. Well, besides saving, um, spending less than you earn, what else do you do or what else do you advocate that people do to supplement their income? They can support a family while not working for money. Right. Well, that's a, that's a nice shortcut because first of all, it is possible to just save so much that you never have to earn another cent. But most people don't do it that way, especially if you're um, you're fairly early in the financial independence and you quit your main job. A lot of people will keep a side job. So for me, I really like doing uh, carpentry, just like pro, casual, pro-level carpentry around the neighborhood for people. So even over these last 10 years, I've still done different sizes of jobs, just kind of like when my son is taking a nap or when he's in school just go over and do some work for people that I like spending time with. And so it's a little bit extra money. My wife has experimented with stuff as well. After she quit working in software, she got a real estate license, which is a fun thing for a lot of people to experiment with. She did some house selling and now she has an Etsy shop that she, where she's making like a kind of neat handcrafted bracelet and necklace kind of stuff. And her Etsy shop is taking off quite a bit. So people never lose their desire to produce after you quit the job. So you're probably going to make money even after you retire. But that, just to expand your question a little bit, I also think if you kind of get focused about this and you get excited about challenge and hardship and, and uh, you know the focused mind, you can often earn a lot more than you'd think in your regular career as well. So I was always 
trying to think of my job as the number one priority while I had it as a software guy. And uh, I think that helped me earn more than I otherwise would, which allowed my career to be a bit shorter. So I think people should, while you're still employed, you should really pour it on and like switch jobs as needed or switch roles. And, and a lot of people can make a lot more money than they currently do. Awesome. So here's a question. I know it's probably not, you're not gonna have a specific answer, but roughly how much does someone need to save in order to retire early? Is there like a rough uh, percentage of your income that you get? Yeah. I mean, what is it you should be shooting for? Right. That's a pretty easy question actually. And because the uh, financial companies, you know, like Fidelity or whatever, they often confuse you by talking about how much of your income you need. And that's totally wrong. What you need to do is figure out how much you're spending. And then you need 25 to 30 times that amount invested. And that will generate passive cash flow that you can live off more or less for the rest of your life. So that's just a really good rule of thumb. So if you spend $10,000 a year, just because it's a round number, you'd need $250,000 of investments to reliably deliver you that money forever. Uh, And then this is where the rubber meets the road because a lot of people, higher income people, will build up a lifestyle for themselves that costs $100,000 a year. Well, it turns out to fund that, you need between $2.5 and $3 million invested to keep that kind of cash fire hose going which is pretty hard to save up that much money unless you're a really high high earner. So I, I optimize on both sides, trying to earn more, trying to design an efficient lifestyle, which is why I always use this $25,000 figure. 25K, if you have your house paid off, which is how I do things, is more than enough to fund like a family of three or four in most U.S. areas. So, um, so in that case, you need about $600,000 plus pay off your house Six seven hundred thousand dollars is enough to retire on, plus the value of your house. So you could think of it as about one million dollars. Sounds like a scary number if you're a beginner at saving, but once you get into these fifty percent savings rates, the numbers really start to to crank up unexpectedly, and suddenly you're dealing in six figure changes instead of three figure changes in your wealth each year. So is this uh, money that's not in, they're in they're in index funds, but they're not in a retirement account? You're right. Well, I would encourage you put as much as you can into the retirement account because you can read about the details later, but there's ways to get that out earlier. Or you could spend your post-tax money first and then gradually work into your retirement money as you're older. Or you might end up earning more money as a carpenter or whatever after you retire anyway. So um, you don't worry about those details other than put it in there. And yeah, index funds is the easiest way and it's a safe way. Uh, if you're at all interested and skilled in rental house management or you know income properties, you can get a higher rate from that than you can from from stock investing in general. But it's not an easy. You do have to know a little bit. You have to be somewhat motivated to learn and understand why it doesn't work in San Francisco very well and why it does work in Oklahoma pretty well because of the price to rent ratios being more favorable in uh, in some different areas of the country. Yeah. And yeah, the whole paying off the house thing, there's like two sides of that debate. Some people say you shouldn't, and some people say you should pay it off early. Why? Because like I've heard the argument you shouldn't pay it off early because there's tax benefits, but I've never understood that argument. Yeah. Because you're basically paying the bank money so you can save a little bit on taxes. Right. It's true. It's kind of a, a win-win question. You can't really go wrong as long as your other alternative isn't buying a boat with that money. If you pay off your house, you're getting a 4% return or whatever your mortgage rate is. Um, and a compromise to make the to make kind of the best of both sides of the coin might be to leave your house unpaid off while you're working. So max out the index funds while you're working and your income is high. 
especially if you have an expensive house because you're going to be up in the above the standard deduction. So you'll actually be really benefiting from the mortgage um, write off. Mm-hmm. And then once you quit, your income will be a lot lower because you're just living off investments instead of your massive, you know, doctor or lawyer salary or whatever. And then you could transfer some money to pay off your house, and that really lowers your monthly expenses a lot. You lower your cash flow requirements, which just makes people relaxed. And it's a fairly good investment. It's a 4% guaranteed fixed kind of yield, which you can't really get anywhere else right now. And uh, it protects you from fluctuations in the stock market because you'll always have that $0 monthly mortgage bill. You'll just be paying property taxes, and that's it. Yeah. Um, so what's the one thing that someone who's listening to this podcast right now, what can they start doing today to start on the road to financial independence? Well, you could start learning about other people who have done it. That's one thing to do, or you can just start taking action, like make sure you have a good working bike and, uh, start replacing car trips with a bike. I like that as a psychological bridge to, um, better money management because it's a challenge saves you money but it's also getting you change it's getting you more physically fit and it's changing your mindset so that suddenly you are active instead of passive and you're figuring out how to you're solving problems in the world instead of just relaxing and pressing the gas pedal so i like to use the bike as both like the figurative and the literal model for the first step to a financially prosperous life because it's kind of the perfect example of the stuff you have to do if you really want to get ahead of everybody Awesome. So do hard things, like find something that's hard and do it. Yeah. And if you, I would say the bike is a perfect, you know, that can be the hard thing unless you've got something else in mind. Awesome. Well, Pete, where can people learn more about your work? There's only one place, just my blog, mrmoneymustache.com. And uh, it's showed up on a lot of other stuff like newspapers and podcasts and stuff recently. So you can poke through those in my media section too, if you want more of these big picture interviews. But really, if you want to just crank through some of the early articles and then see if they, if you take a liking to them, and if you do, then there's, there's a never-ending chain because I've been writing this thing for four years. So there's a lot there to, uh, to have fun with. All right. Well, Pete, Mr. Money Mustache, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. Thanks so much. Our guest today was Pete. He's the owner of the blog, Mr. Money Mustache. And you can find out more about his work and some more advice on personal finance by badassery at mrmoneymustache.com. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy this show and you get something out of it, I'd really appreciate it if you would give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever it is you use to listen to the podcast. Uh, That will help us get some feedback on how we can improve the show as well as get the word out about the podcast to more people. The more the merrier. Really appreciate it. Until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. To stay manly. To stay manly. To stay manly. Goodyear Auto Service takes pride in caring for your car. Get in the groove with Goodyear's technician tips. Number 13, inspect your tread. Like a podcast, you're an investigative journalist finding the cracks in the case. And number 64, pump your brakes before you crank that debate. Coming in for routine brake checks are essential for your safety. Goodyear Auto Service, here for the bumps in the road. Get more tips at GoodyearAutoService.com. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How?! 
You'll have to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.